Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Hi, this is Celia Cutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Fomen About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Mary Isaac. And I'm Chris Kuzmi. And we're your co-host of this weekly journey of all things fermented. Archived on Stitcher, iTunes, and right here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. All right, welcome. We're getting get through some announcements first. So first, a local New York City announcement. Pride of Brooklyn Home Brewing Competition and Expo will take place on Saturday, April 20th. Ooh, that is not correct. April 25th. Yep. It will be Saturday, April 25th, uh, and it's going to encompass or have about 25 different home brewers, local home brewers, some very good home brewers. There will be a people's choice and the judging. Uh, it's a competition, an open competition, public. Tickets are up for sale where? It's going to be, well, it's better if you just go to their uh, Facebook page, Pride of Brooklyn Homebrew Fest, and we will actually tweet the ticket link. But it's going to be at Littlefield, which is on DeGraw Street in Brooklyn. And we will see you there. I have the uh, pleasure of, of being a judge, or pleasure or curse of being a judge. <laughs> so I was all set up, and then I realized I was looking at a page from 2013. Ah! <laughs> anyway, <laughs> then there's two pretty cool beer-related kickstarters that are going on right now the first is called drink tanks d-r-i-n-k-t-a-n-k-s and they're offering the world's largest growler and personal keg and they actually way overshot their goal which is absolutely awesome i think it's an awesome product and i'm actually have i'm going to pledge for two of these suckers so they have three days to go this is your time to get in and be an early adopter so they're basically these one gallon growler slash Kegulators, and they're, they're great. Stainless so, steel, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if you look up, just search Drink Tanks, D-R-I-N-K-T-A-N-K-S, on Kickstarter, and you will find it. Um, so it's an easy way to carbonate your own beer if you are, you know, doing smaller batches or you just want to take a small portion, like a gallon of your beer somewhere, or also a really great way to keep your beer fresh. Um, the second is Kit Lab. So KitLab is a site where anyone can buy and sell beer kits. KitLab packs and ships the kits and authors share in the profits. So the way this works, it's already going. I guess there's a version kind of already going, but it's going to be an online marketplace where brewers, pro brewers, home brewers, whoever, can upload your recipes and sell as made-to-order beer kits. Whenever one of those kits sells online, KitLab will pack and ship the kit and split the profits with you as the recipe author. Um, so this is by a guy named Ryan Sanders, and this is also a very cool. He just started this. It's He has 25 days to go, um, and he has not yet reached his goal. So definitely check that out as well. And that is, again, Kit Lab, K-I-T space L-A-B on Kickstarter. We'll send both those, tweet, those out as tweets probably just after the show concludes tonight. What is your Twitter, Twitter handle, Mary? At Fumen About It. With a D. Don't be a tit. Write it with a dit. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, 
Kuzma, you seem to have some announcements. I do have an announcement. I'm very excited. It's a very exciting day tomorrow. Tomorrow is National Beer Day here in the United States. Uh, And uh, before we get into what that is, uh, my friend, our friend, Chris Bradley, is launching his show, Destination Beer. And uh, Destination Beer Show uh, on on a YouTube channel. YouTube channel uh, or YouTube.com forward slash Destination Beer Show. And this is basically a new travel and cooking reality show with great beer as the main ingredient. Chris is a really great guy and and, uh, does a lot of amazing, amazing uh, beer stuff. Great beer advocate, great friend. And uh, I'm really, really, really looking forward to this show. The first, the pilot episode is going to feature Deschutes Brewery in Bend, Oregon. And uh, I can't wait to see what happens with that. But tomorrow is April 7th, National Beer Day. It's an unofficial holiday in the United States, celebrated every year, and it celebrates the ability to buy, sell, and drink beer for the first time in 13 years. Celebration of the Curlin, Cullen Harrison Act being signed into law by President Franklin Tree Roosevelt in 1933. And that's what I have to so, say. So that law went to effect, uh, allowing people to buy and, sell, uh, buy, sell, and drink beer again as long as it was less than 3.2%, 4% ABV. Chris, how are you planning on celebrating National Beer Day? I'm going to drink a lot of beer tomorrow. <laughs> and it's all going to be under 3.2%. <laughs> as long as I can find it. It shouldn't be too hard. Now, there's some, there's some that are come close to that. <laughs> <laughs> we should have made our own, dude. What were we yeah, thinking? No. We, we, we failed. Um, so let's talk about kind of... Now that I am fully Speaking recovered of- from... So uh, some, some of you know who have... Um, been listening to us for all that i wrote a book last year on fast fermented alcoholic beverages called speed brewing it's out in june i'm super excited um but i did experience some fermentation burnout after the conclusion of that book and now that i am fully over it and the weather is turning nice and our our apartment is not 50 degrees anymore um i am back on a fermentation rampage so i've been i'm playing with fermented grains primarily right now um we've been doing sourdough for a while i'm obsessed with these easy Mm -hmm. sourdough crackers Mm -hmm. i've made like five batches in the last week Mm um and uh and uh i did successfully made raisin water bread so I used organic raisins and basically made a starter with organic raisins and water. And I made two loaves of bread from that last week. And then, so all you do is get raisins, throw it in water? Yep. And it just goes? Yep. There are, you can find some recipes online. I think I'm trying to remember. I used actually used um, the recipe from, from Peter Reinhardt's new book, Bread Revolution. But it's about a quarter cup of raisins. Just cover that with enough filtered water, spring water, you know, no chlorine. Um, and... Let it go. You want to kind of jiggle it around. So swish it around. Like, don't put your cap on too, too, too tight. Kind of jig, swish it around. Uh, get some ac- some aeration in there or some activity um, every eight hours or so. Maybe like three times a day. And then maybe on the, I think on the third day, I added a little bit more water. So I'm just doing this in like a wide mouth mason jar. Um, I think a pint size. And um, it's going to get fizzy and kind of active. The raisins will start floating, and then it'll get like a white layer on top. And it kind of looks like when you, if you're brewers out there and you brew uh, sours, like a lactobacillus pellicle, basically, to me. So it's kind of uh, just a white layer. So then just strain the, that out. At that point, it's ready. So just strain it off. You know, make sure it smells good. If it smells really gross, don't use it. Uh, strain that off. I just added it to flour and more water and made a starter and then made a bread just as I would from traditional sourdough starter. But it's cool and it works great and it's really tastes nice. I would have to agree. Uh, And then I made pizza dough from it last night, so we'll see how that goes. Um, I have not. I just made the pizza dough and and put it in the fridge. We haven't made pizza with it yet. Um, The other thing... Now I know what I'm having with my beer tomorrow. 
pizza. pizza. Handmade uh, raisin water <laughs> on, pizza. On, Absolutely. On National Beer Day. Yes. <laughs> by the way, that make by with tomorrow being National Beer Day, uh, today is New Beers New Beers Eve. So happy New Beers Eve, everybody. Happy New Beers Eve. <laughs> um, and then the other thing that I have been playing with is we made a batch of dosas this weekend, which were made of red lentils and brown rice. And this was all inspired by a fantastic workshop done by Cheryl Passwater at the Ferment, Ferment Fe- Fermentation Festival here. And welcome, Cheryl. Cheryl Passwater. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. So let's start with, who are you? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I'm Cheryl Passwater. <laughs> um, need you I, say more. Need I say more? No. <laughs> um, I am... Um, an artist, more formally trained, um, and then I'll say certified fermentationist and gut ecologist. Nice. Awesome. And a little uh, side fact, you played bass in a punk band for three years somewhere <laughs> along the line. True story. Did good stuff. <laughs> so how, what, what, what got you into fermenting? Um, I got into fermenting a few years ago. I kind of through a series of events, I, in my early thirties, just became very sick and ill and I was sick and ill for a long time and um kind of became a kind of health slash food kind of nerd and started really researching things and started looking to fermentation partially because I was just generally interested in it um you know I kind of love this idea of bacteria and um and then eventually I don't know I was just sitting in my friend's dining room one day and I just had this epiphany where I was like, you know, every culture in the world is eating these foods but uh, but us, but we're the sickest. Mm -hmm. And so um, there began my journey. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. It seems counterintuitive to to the layman. There's not enough education on bacteria and how good it is for you or it can be for you. And of course, everybody has a different body and and treatment to it. What you're used to doesn't always, you know, you don't always respond well. Yeah, no, I mean... everything. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, I think we, you know, we live in this culture where it's like pasteurization and anti this and, you know, the idea of growing something and it kind of being this weird, wild, you know, thing. Right. And then we're ingesting it. Um, yeah, it's something that people get really alarmed about. And I think part of that is because people, I mean, we're, a lot of us, a lot of our society is eating things on a, a mass produced scale and a lot of these fermented foods really shouldn't be made they weren't meant to be made i mean fermentation was done in the home it was done personally and it's very easy to do but it's something that we've all kind of forgotten yeah i was talking with somebody recently who was telling me about how um he grew up in turkey and you know he's like no my grandmother my mother like they all have a you know massive bucket of you know, yogurt sitting next to the fireplace that, you know, and every day they just kind of add some fresh raw milk to it. And every morning you go and you ladle out a big, you know, bowl of yogurt <laughs> and you have it as part of your daily, you know, your daily routine. And, um, you know, same thing with sauerkraut and, you know, Germany and Austria and certain places around the world. And um, kimchi mm-hmm. and Korea. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So something yeah, I'm definitely um, very fascinated with. Um, I love the idea of it. And what did you kind of start with? Um, I started with kombucha, actually. Um, I was subletting an apartment um, from this super cool chick named Laura, and um, you know, she had this big jar of you know, kombucha sitting on her table, and I was like, oh, I've been really interested in fermentation and starting to ferment. So she gave me my first scoby and a kind of very basic um, kind of recipe, and then I just started kind of playing from there. And... Um, 
and everything kind of spiraled out into a crazy snowball of, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was hooked. <laughs> so tell us about, you have a, a project called Contraband for Mets, and it's basically a CSA, a community supported agriculture fermentation program. So tell us a little bit, what is Contraband for Mets? How did it start? Um, well, I mean, I think Contraband kind of stemmed out of a series of things. You know, I started fermenting and then I got really into it and then started giving ferments to friends because I was making more ferments than I could really personally digest (laughs) safely probably. (laughs) Um, And I was, at the time I was doing some gut rehabilitation work for myself and um, just starting to study more um, gut and human microbiome type stuff. And um, so I started giving stuff to friends and then the next thing I knew friends were buying from me and so originally I thought oh I'm just gonna start selling kombucha I'll start like this cool little groovy kombucha company and then really fast kind of realized I don't want to make just kombucha I want to make all the things and Mm -hmm. it's probably my artist brain to say like you know I don't like too many (laughs) don't don't limit me man (laughs) kind of yeah just I love the you know I really love the creativity of it and um I think it's a similar brain for me as mm-hmm. art making in certain in certain ways, and so um, yeah, I just I started fermenting a lot, and then I kind of realized like you know I think I want to I don't know I just had this really one day I was just like I think I want to name something contraband ferments I think that would be an amazing name for kind of what I'm doing, <laughs> and so um, yeah I was you know selling to a lot of friends and I was like you know what, I'm gonna I was trying to pay my way through school and. I needed to come up with a way to pay for this, like in cash, with like mo- really expensive monthly payments. And so, I started a fermentation CSA, sort of a partially as a solution to being able to pay my way through school, but also just realizing like a lot of people were coming to me wanting ferments, and people were coming to me who, um, you know, had digestive issues going on. Um, and also for me, it was a way to stay creative and keep pushing myself as a fermenter sure. um, and, you know, coming up with new things and, you know, really, um, you know, as an also an outreach to my community, you know, we're really, we've a groovy, really groovy crew of people and everybody's in it for different reasons. Um, yeah. So it's just really, yeah, it's really fun. And so when did you officially kind of launch and how were you, are you working with a farm or? Um, we kind of, I guess, launched, ish like a year and a half ago um i just kind of started the csa and didn't really look backwards um yeah and we were collaborating with a farm a little bit in long island who's amazing um garden of eve um and we're not doing that right now just because like logistically it was becoming really hard Mm -hmm. taking people out to the farm and stuff so um the good majority of my fermenting is happening at home um and then um yeah, I'm actually my three of my friends and I. Um, somebody in the neighborhood has kind of letting or letting us use their yard, so we're actually planting a garden right now, and we're gonna like be growing some of our own stuff for the CSA and for other projects. So. Using local ingredients is a big focus of your CSA. Uh, yeah, right, local. Yeah, local organic, um, as much like locally sourced, um, you know, stuff as we can. And when we've done deliveries for things, like we always use like the cargo bike collective. Like we're you know we try to be as you know, eco and um, earth friendly as possible. And then, what are you guys? Are you doing a different kind of featured ferment every month or a series? Yeah. So the fermentation CSA runs three months at a time. 
So we ask people to just do three months just because we recognize, like, it's a little weird. You may or may not, you know. And um, it's a little bit more experimental. So you get everything from – you get two to three ferments every month. And, um, it, you know, it can vary from more traditional ferments like yogurt or, you know, miso, kimchi, sauerkraut to um, more experimental stuff. Um, we've done my fermented cookies. Um, we've done, you know, fermented nut cheeses fermented hot sauce, amazaki, um, yeah, tempeh. I mean, we just, yeah, we, I try to really break it up into a variety of things. So it's a little bit something that you might, you know, want to eat every day, a little bit of something that you're like, oh, this is kind of a cool, weird treat. And then, you know, something else that kind of bridges the gap. Cool. And we are going to take a break, but we'll be right back to hear more about what you've been fermenting. Hopefully you'll, you'll tell us a little bit more about your fermented cookies. I'm very intrigued. And uh, then we're going to talk about some doses in Italy. So we'll be back after the break. Ferment about it. El Knife and Son acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn, but has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Union Beer has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Kings County, Brooklyn, through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education on all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the 14 counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. This is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Welcome back to Ferment About It. We are here in the studio with Cheryl Passwater of Contraband Ferments, who we met. Well, actually, we've known her for a while. Um, but, uh, <laughs> we met, well, we met at Ferment Ferment. Met yeah. at, two years ago. Two years yeah. ago, yeah. But she was at the recent Ferment Ferment, teaching a seminar on doses and idlis. What are doses and idlis? Okay. Go, Cheryl, Enter Q, Cheryl. So, um, doses and Italy's are basically a... Um, How do you spell it, Italy's? I-D-L-I-S. Okay. Italy. Gotcha. <laughs> I know, I kind of add an extra syllable to it. I, 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 just clarify. Yeah, I think it's my Midwest <laughs> roots or something. I've been told totally pronounce words word, wrong yeah. a lot here. Um yeah, so basically they're a traditional, um, Italy's are a more traditional kind of South Indian puffy cloud bread kind of cake patty thing that 
is um, made with fermented lentils and rice. And dosa is another variation, um, but it's more like a crepe kind of pancake-y, you know, kind of form. Um, you know, that's also lentils and rice, but just a slightly different format. Do tell. Uh, yeah, so it, <laughs> <laughs> so it's a slightly um, different ferment. I mean, yeah, yeah, one was. I mean, very similar, but just slightly different. Um, in the case of Italy, it's um, fermented a little bit longer. Um, generally, a type of lentil or kind of mung bean, I guess, if you will, more formally, um, that you use might be different. In the case of um, example, of Italy, as I did at ferment, ferment, and just my personal preference, um, actually have played with this a bit. I really like the red lentil the kind mm-hmm. of dull lentil um and then you can use you know brown or white rice um so i've been playing with more with like white basami rice basmati and rice so what do you do to get it to ferment to or, yeah. or what yeah. what is we'll take it through the steps yeah. yeah take it through yeah. steps so um basically it's just a combination it's like you know one part lentil to two parts rice um and you take it you you know soak your grains overnight which is great because we're kind of breaking down you know, kind of these outer, you know, the outer barriers of the grains. So they're just my more digestible and absorbable. Um, so you At just, room temperature? Overnight. Yeah, yep. soak them at room temperature. Usually I squeeze like half a lemon in there. Kind of helps break it down a little bit more. Lots or of water. You could use vinegar too, right? Um, you could use vinegar. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then you don't even you don't even have to use those things. You could just soak it sure. and it's fine. Um, you know, I usually throw a towel over it. Um, you know, rubber band, keep any critters out. Yeah. <laughs> and... Um, let it soak overnight, and then you actually, the next day, um, you could soak it up for two days, really. But um, what you want to do is you don't want to pour off that liquid. Um, more traditionally, when you soak stuff, you just kind of you know, strain off all that liquid. You actually don't want to do that in the case of Italy. And um, usually what I do is take kind of a strainer, and I scoop out all the rice and you know lentils into a blender. And then, um, you know, add sea salt. Um, you don't want any iodized salt because it kills bacteria. We want to grow bacteria. Right. And then um, usually I pour off some of the liquid, just enough to kind of like blend it up. You kind of want it to be almost like uh, like toothpaste kind of cons- you know kind of consistency or a little bit waterier waterier than that waterish. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> kind of like waffle like waffle batter. Yeah, kind of like waffle. Right? Yeah, almost like a waffle batter. It'll be like a little bit coarse. There'll be a little bit of coarseness to it. And then, um, you know, you add sea salt, and then you use what's called an Italy steamer. So um, I guess if you're in, like, the New York... Wait, then you let that ferment more? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yes. I skipped a step. Very Um, easy to do. Yeah, because it's not written down in front of me. (laughs) Um, And then you take the batter, you pour it back in the bowl, you cover it. You can let it hang out for another 24 to 48 hours. Um, And then you'll kind of start to see it'll kind of start to rise up and puff up. so that's kind of how you know it's kind of working. And then you'll kind of get this pool of, like, red kind of pink weirdness on it. And that's actually, like, hooch. Um, <laughs> so you just kind of mix it back in. Um, you know, I always say, like, you know, halfway through, you can go and mix it up again if you really want to. Um, I usually let mine hang out, mix it back in. And then um, after it's fermented, I mean, it'll smell, like, a little weird. I feel like with some ferments, you know, it just smells kind of yeasty and yummy. And you're like, I definitely want to eat this. I feel like with Italy batter, it's a little... Like, like garbagey a little, a little bit. garbagey like touch to touch <laughs> yeah just like it's a touch of you're like i'm not sure <laughs> um so it's okay it's probably fine you know 
there's not mold, like crazy black or red mold, just if it's black or red mold, don't eat it. You know, blue mold, just scrape it off. It's probably fine. Uh, it smells, I feel like it smells mold. a little sulfury too, kind of. It's got yeah, it's like, just got a little like a little yeah. like weird kind of twist to it, where you're like, mm-hmm. it smells yeasty. It's like fluffed up. There's this hooch on top, but just like a little tinge of like I'm not. What is that? I can't quite. Yeah, kind right. of garbagey smell. But if um, it gets a pellicle of mold of black or red mold, yeah. don't don't black and red means dead. Don't, don't mix it back in. Don't mix it back in. Just yeah. dump that back. Just yeah. over. Blue and green, white. Sh- just scrape it off. You're fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I get these phone calls all the time. <laughs> and emails. Um, and then, um, you know, you just basically mix it up and then you use what's called um, an Italy steamer, which you could get on Amazon. If you live in New York City area, you could go to like... Um, Conclusions. Conclusions. Thank you. One of you. my favorite stores. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that place is crazy. <laughs> Not the first time we mentioned that on this show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not the last. Conclusions is amazing. Um, I went there with for the first time actually with Barry Schwartz from Barry's Tempe. Nice. So, he's great. <laughs> he's yeah. yeah. He's awesome. And I was just like, what? How did, <laughs> how did I go this long without knowing this was here? Um, yeah, it was great. Um, but they have them at Conclusions. Um, I like to add other things into my batter. Um, I know for men, for men, I think we threw some. Uh, coriander in the batter um sometimes i mess with other things i tinker and then basically you just take um the steamer tray it comes apart in pieces and you know you can kind of coat it with um ghee or coconut oil works really well and um basically you find you know a big pot that it'll fit in without putting too much water where it's going to flood the trays right excuse me and then um, you basically boil that little, you know, half inch little layer of water. Uh, little layer of water. Steaming. Yep. Put the steamer in. Well, before you, sorry, before you put the steamer in, you uh, fill all the little trays. So like these little divots, they have like little holes in them. You're like, mm-hmm. I'm gonna put this batter in here, and is it gonna fall through? And it does not. You fill them all, and you stack them, and you kind of screw it back together. You sit it inside this um, boiling water, put a lid on, and you just let them steam. Um, and you'll see it like it'll kind of go from like this pinkish batter to you know or kind of gray green depending on what kind of lunches you use and then it'll just start it'll start to change color and it'll just kind of go from like pink to kind of like white edges with like a pink middle and then it just kind of starts to fluff up and then they just look at like these just beautiful little white disc things and then um yeah, I usually kind of just poke them with my finger to kind of if they bounce back, kind of like sure. when you're cooking meat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, I think it kind of depends on how fast it steams, kind of more based on like the size of your pot and stuff. Sure. But then you have these idlis, and how are they generally eaten, or what are they eaten with? Um, sambar. Um, I like to make fermented chutneys with them, um, like apple pear chutney that I've fermented or. Um, a vegetable kind of more traditional like onion kind of Indian chutney mm-hmm. um, yeah so I really like to do it like that um, a friend and I made them recently and we were eating them with strawberry jam <laughs> nice. and, yeah they were amazing her dogs were freaking out <laughs> her like littlest that little dog Jumble he's just I like, love that little dog and he I mean for half an hour 40 minutes after we were done making Italy, he was still sitting there looking at the pot and I'm like there's no more and he would look at the pot and like it's gone it's over yeah. and he'd look right at the pot he's like I know there and there were more in there like he's like I know there's more in there like he would do any his nose doesn't do well yeah anything he I knows. wanted based on yeah he was loving it so let's talk about doses yes please if people I love don't, me some doses I've, I had 
actually, I, I feel like doses are more so common. <laughs> They're yeah. easier to get, or you see them more often yeah. at least than Italy's, at least in this yeah. country. Yeah. Um, and and also, you know, if somebody wants to try and they they don't want to invest in an idli pan or get an extra piece, then doses you can make with just yeah a pan or anything. Yeah, skillet. So, what's the difference in you kind of make them similar similarly, yeah. except that you rinse, you don't keep the water, right? Right. So, in the case of Italy, you're keeping the water and using part of that water kind of as like an inoculant, right? You're kind of pouring it back in in the blending process. Um, with dosa, you don't need that water. Um, uh, so that's, you know, you don't have to worry about that part. And then... So we start exactly the same way with the ferment. Yeah, you do it the same way. Um, the soak fer- the lentils, soak the rice. Yeah, the fermentation same, process. Same balance, two, two to one? Um, same balance, two to one. Um, I believe so. I'd have to look at my notes. I think that's how I, think that's how I made it. <laughs> I'm pretty okay. sure, yeah. I think that's right. And then... Um, you know, it, I mean, it's, it's basically the same process, a little bit less fermenting time. I soak it for a little bit less amount of time. And again, you can use any kind of kind of lentil, you know, black lentils. I think they're like kind of more traditional variation. You kind of soak them until the skins come off and then you kind of scrape off all the skins. And then you have this more like white batter. Um, but I've used, you know, green lentils. I've used mung beans, um, which was really yummy. Um, I've used red lentils for it also. So kind of any kind of bean variety in there um, works. And so you just, similar process to that in Italy. I usually soak it for less time. I usually ferment it for a little bit less time. And then, yeah, you can basically, I mean, I like my dosa. I eat it for breakfast a lot. I think I haven't, you know. I don't know if my dose is as good as, like, if you go to Flushing and you, right. you know, get, like, dosa. Oh or Jersey gosh. City. So yeah. Doses, doses are South Indian, and, yeah. and they eat them for breakfast and dinner or any time of day. Yeah, yeah. I love stuffing them with stuff. So, um, anyway, I know, like, at Ferment Ferment, when we did it, we just, you know, took a not, well, semi-nonstick <laughs> skillet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a little sticky, that one. Um, and then you just kind of coat it. I usually coat it with a little bit of um, ghee or a little bit of oil. Not much, just like a little bit. And then you just pour it in the batter. So it's almost like the same idea as making a crepe. You don't want a lot. You don't want it as thick as a pancake. You just want a little bit. I usually kind of roll it around the pan um, so it's a little bit more crepe size. And then... Um, you know, what'll kind of actually happen is as it's kind of cooking down, it'll start to kind of crisp up around the edges and then it'll start to get like these little holes in it. Um, like pancakes, kind of. Kind of like pancakes. So it's like pancake bubbles or like if you've ever made like injera, mm-hmm. it'll kind of like bubble up on top, but it's not bubbles. Like it's like almost all the way through. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so you'll kind of get these bubbles and crackles. And usually when it's about cooked, like not quite cooked through, I like to add, um, I'll sprinkle sea salt. And then I'll take fresh cilantro and I'll put like a little bit of ghee in it and I'll just like add a bunch of stuff and like sauteed onions and whatnot. And then I flip it. I make it kind of more like a dosa omelet, which some, I mean, a lot of them kind of come like that, like with stuff in them. Yeah. Like potatoes or other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of go really simple. I just kind of like shoving tons of cilantro in there. And it was delicious for yeah. what you made it from it from it with the, that was beautiful yeah. i did not get them as thin so i actually blended the recipe that i used i blended my red lentils separate from my right brown rice uh-huh. and then i mixed it i don't think you uh, need to do that necessarily no, though i throw mine all in one bowl i don't know as a fermenter in general i i'm not like super i think ocd about things i just kind of go for it and i yeah. don't worry about like 
I need to separate every last detail, and I just throw it all in one bowl. And I'm like, the time. I mean, the time it's soaking is the same amount of time. It's not gonna. You say you deliberately ferment it for less amount of time. Why is that? Um, just everything I have read up on dosa, it's like fermented for a little bit less time. So mm-hmm. I've just just for a cleaner flavor, less 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 kind of. Yeah, I mean, I think if you want a more tangy batter, like let it go longer. Yeah, yeah. We, I, we let ours go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was I, pretty stinky. <laughs> I mean, in a good way. It wasn't. It wasn't stinky <laughs> in a bad way, but it was. That's why I'm asking. It was That's pretty pungent. This up. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, exactly. What I, I actually used. Um, <laughs> I had bought this um, spice, the seasoning pack from Trader Joe's. So I used their Zoog, Z H O U G, and it was a combination of coriander leaves, parsley, chili, garlic, cumin, cardamom, and cloves. Yeah. And it was good, and then we just made them, I just served them with scrambled eggs. But it was so good, and now we're totally yeah, addicted to doses, and I want to eat them every day. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> oh, I know, right? I made doses one morning. I made doses for breakfast that I had done with um, sprouted mung bean. And I had all this dose about it. I mean, I've been sitting in my fridge for like two weeks. And so I was like extra, like a little extra, like not funky, but like just a little stanky, like mm-hmm. in a like fermented-y kind of yummy way. And I made doses and I did a similar thing where I, I fried up eggs and then I put that in there and then I topped it with the kimchi. And then yes. I topped it with this kimchi green Midori sriracha that somebody on. had given me for Christmas. And then that's beautiful. I just, yeah, I was just piling all this stuff in. I was like, oh, my God, it's like a fermented breakfast taco. It's mm-hmm. my dream come true. It's so yeah. good. And it is easy, yeah. I mean, you do have to plan a little bit ahead. It is fermented. But, and and it might, you know, it might, for those of you who are listening and interested, it, do, it sounds a little intimidating at first, but it really was very, very mm-hmm. easy. Um, I think my doses were a little thick. My brown rice didn't soak as long as I probably yeah. should have let it. So it was a little... It wasn't as smooth as I wanted, but it was still absolutely fantastically delicious. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm going to start soaking more red lentils and brown rice tonight so we can yes. have more doses. Yes. Do it. But it's really a great ferment, and we don't see it that much. I mean, you know, I've had doses a bunch of times in Indian restaurants, but I don't know anyone else who makes it at home. And it's really it's easy and delicious and good for you. I mean, lentils and brown yeah. rice. How could be better? It's, yeah. I, I love it. I, like, I love fermentation. That's so accessible yeah you know? totally we don't think it is it seems so overwhelming and like scary and all these things but it's like no i can just whip this up at home and it costs like so little yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah. and it doesn't i think the timing doesn't you can be a lot looser with the timing with something like a dosa or an idli yeah. um you know it doesn't have to ferment for a you know 12 hours or whatever you can be pretty loosey-goosey yeah you can be really loosey-goosey which i think is one of my favorite things about it it's like i can you know i've had ferments where i'm like i'm gonna push how long this can like go you know Mm -hmm. before it just gets too weird Mm -hmm. (laughs) like um and i think that's what's fantastic about it you know it's like you have this ability to do these shorter faster ferments and you know this ability to do these kind of like longer drawn out you know it's absolutely and i want you had mentioned but once the dough once the batter is fermented you can put it into the fridge for a week or two yeah 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 Yeah. because a lot i mean i think a lot of people don't necessarily know what they want to cook for breakfast tomorrow but if they have the idea of 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 doses that they can start their ferment but if tomorrow comes and you know they wake up late and you know it's okay. You just it's take your take your yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not. It's okay. Yeah. Put your thing, put put the ferment in the refrigerator. Slow down. Slow down the fermentation, and yeah. and uh, it'll be fine for later. So I want to go back to fermented cookie. What is a fermented cookie? <laughs> um, so I did this project uh, for fermentation school. We all did like present a project, and so my whole thing was I was like, I want to come up with a fermented cookie. Um, I sous chef occasionally for a health foods coach, and one of her clients is. Um, 
a little kid with autism and he's allergic to a ton of food. And so I was like, you know, I was thinking about it and I was like, you know, what if I could come up with something, you know, for this kid that like just in my mind, you know, that was like that he could actually eat, you know, it's like, I mean, and I've, and it's kind of a kid food, right? Like, or or just being like a kid and you're like going to part birthday parties or to school or just, you know, like not really ever being able to really participate, I think, in the things around you and being somebody with food intolerances and food allergies myself, being just kind of a little bit sensitive to that. And um, I don't know, it just got me thinking, I was like, well, what, what would you make for somebody like this who's allergic to freaking everything, <laughs> you know, so dairy and eggs and gluten and nuts and you know just so many things and um i don't know so it just got me thinking about this idea of like well what if i came up with like a fermented cookie <laughs> a fermented cookie <laughs> um and i just i think also like just having a nostalgic thing my nostalgic thing my dad always made cookies for us as kids like he's just really good at making cookies and um he has not yet figured out i think or attempted a way to do gluten-free cookies but <laughs> um yeah so i just i kind of was you know, started experimenting. I was kind of inspired by Injera at the time and just really loving Injera. And so I kind of came up with this variation of like a fermented kind of teff based cookie that, um, you know, it was sugar free and egg free <laughs> and dairy free and kind of free of like these, like, you know, it wasn't loaded with like almond flour. Cause if you're allergic to nuts, you can't have that. And, yeah. um, you know, just started kind of playing with a way to come up with something that was maybe more um, digestible and kind of food sensitive to, you know, somebody like this kid. And um, hence the fermented cookies came about. And um, I did make them for the CSA in the fall. And uh, I got multiple text messages that were like, I picked up the cookies. And by the time I got home, there were no more cookies. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Fantastic. So yeah, yeah, they're they're pretty yummy. Like you know, it, and it's it's interesting because you have to think about like, you know, usually in your baking, you make regular cookies. It's like dry. You have all these dry ingredients, and then you kind of add these like wet ingredients. And in the case of the, from the cookie, everything's already wet. <laughs> so it was like, how do I get rid of, you know, the wetness without like I fermented all the flour. Right. And then how do I, you know, so it's kind of yeah. like a reverse cookie scientifically. <laughs> <I guess. laughs> awesome. So if people want to find out more about contraband ferments, where should they go? Um, we have a website now that's in progress still, but um, it's uh, contrabandferments.com. Um, we're going to have videos. Um, we have a blog up. We have some stuff starting to go on there. There's information about the fermentation CSA. Um, and I do workshops all over the city, so I have a bunch of workshops coming up as well. And those are listed on Contraband Ferment? Um, they will be up there this week. Fantastic. Um, but yeah, we have um, some workshops upcoming at um, Pioneer Works in Red Hook. Um, we're going to be doing something with Leffer's Gardens Food Co-op. Um, we're doing something with Mountain Coffee House, it sounds like. Nice. Um, in June, a big collaborative thing. We have some other, other things in the works. Cool. Stuff in the works. Is yeah. pay, so check pay, out www.contrabandferments.com. Michelle yes. Passwater, thank you so much. Thank you. For joining us on Fermented Bad. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. 
You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>